Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 224. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And today we have a really great episode for anyone who's on the job hunt right now, especially anyone who finds themselves or fears, I should say, being discriminated against for any reason. Today, I get to sit down with someone who knows what that is like and how to overcome it, how to focus on what you can control instead of what you can't in this process, and now spends his days counseling others on how to navigate the whole job search process from college to career. We have a great conversation coming up for you today, and I cannot wait for you to hear it. And for job seekers who are tuning in for this episode, I want to make sure you see our free resource, The Ultimate Guide to Navigating the Job Search as a Modern Woman. You can find that at bossedup.org slash job search. It's a comprehensive step-by-step roadmap for what exactly to do when navigating the job search, especially when it comes to all the sort of quirks involved in the 21st century job search components like keyword matching with your resume and how much of a difference having an internal reference can make. Spoiler alert, it makes you 15 times more likely to be hired. And so we talk through how to make that happen for you. Head to bossedup.org slash job search to get your free guide. Totally downloadable. It's long, not going to lie. We gave a lot away. <laughs> but if you are you know, really looking for a comprehensive resource, that is the place to go. All right, let's jump into my interview today with Kyle Inselman, who is a career advisor and instructor at the University of Denver, working with undergraduate students in the liberal arts in particular. Additionally, Kyle is a writer and a speaker focusing on trans inclusion and gender at work and in higher education. With over 10 years of experience in facilitating trainings to a variety of student and professional audiences, Kyle, welcome to the Boss Up Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm super excited to continue our conversation that we essentially started together when we had you on our recent job search panel talking about job searching amid COVID-19. Thanks again for joining me on that as well. Of course. Thank you for having me on it. So today I want to go a little deeper when it comes to navigating the job search right now. As you can imagine, it's something I've been thinking about a lot, talking about a lot, supporting a lot of our clients with that right now, as I know you are as well with your clients. Mm-hmm. You know, what What are some of the changes you've seen in the marketplace when it comes to being on the job hunt in the past month of of craziness, really, of unpredictable changes. Yeah, yeah. So to be honest, in my role, I don't spend as much time looking at the job market. I work a lot more closely with the students and recent graduates on their applications Mm. and such. So I have seen fewer postings in general. We have seen it affect some of the industries that 
our students are looking at, especially in our business school, they've seen, you know, hospitality and such that is affecting everyone that is affecting our students in the rescinded job offers. But Mm. yeah, as far as specifics, honestly, that's not as big a part of what I do. Yeah. I mean, how's the mood on college campuses? I wonder. Obviously, it's such a devastating time for folks like my little sister whose graduation was canceled. Mm-hmm. It's like such a rite of passage. And it's, it feels terrible that these these students are having that taken away from them, given the terrible circumstances they're graduating into. But mm-hmm. what is the climate like amongst first-time job seekers right now? Yeah. So it's an interesting mix that I've seen because I think when people come to meet with me. And of course, it's all virtual. It's all over Zoom, just like Mm. everything else that we're doing. There is a little bit of relief of like, okay, I'm meeting with you to talk about my job search. And it's a moment that I can be productive. I can do something. So there is a little bit of relief in the meetings that I'm having, but there is this overall nervousness Mm. about Mm -hmm. what opportunities are there, a little bit more hesitancy, a little bit more reluctance to follow through on plans that they may have had, or if not specific plans, at least the dreams that they may have been thinking about when it comes to graduation. A lot Mm. of students, especially liberal arts majors that I work with, they may wait until graduation or a little bit after to start the job search. So right now there's a little bit of, oh, this was coming up and now I need to focus on it and I'm not sure what to do. So it's almost it's almost like a little bit of a pause, I think, of this mm-hmm. uncertainty. We have to kind of just push the brakes a little bit and say, okay, what is happening? Where am I going? How do I, what do I need to know before I push on the accelerator again? Yeah, that's an interesting reminder. You know, we released a job search guide recently at Boss Up. It's totally free. I'll link to it in the show notes. And the first set of instructions is not about action. It's about introspection. Mm. And it's like, before you hit the accelerator, like you just said, you better make sure you're pointing in the right direction. And it can be really hard when it feels like the whole world is paralyzed to, to, really think about where you want to go. And I always tell job seekers, tell me what you'd love. Let's start there and let's try for what you want and then compromise later. And even when the stakes are high, even when it feels like the sky is falling, it's too premature to pull back on what you want until you have concrete evidence that you're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like if you want to be a flight attendant, sure. Let's reconsider that. Like, let's pivot that right now because that industry is not hiring. But before you are off to the races, I really think you're on to something where it's about taking stillness. And I know you're you're coming off right <laughs> off a meditation retreat. Mm-hmm. So I should really ask you about this before you, you run off to the races. So, you know, you told me earlier that you just came back from what, a three-day virtual meditation retreat? Yeah, it was it was actually a four-day meditation oh my retreat. Goodness. Yeah, all, all day long learning these particular practices. So stillness is definitely on the mind. <laughs> And actually, just maybe a tangent from that, a big theme of this retreat that I was just on was about taking your place, taking your the seat that you have been given, as they were saying. So mm. we all have these specific roles that 
call to us, that are important to us, that we have the specific strengths to fill. And I think, you know, what you just said about this moment of introspection is so important because if we don't pause to say, what is that thing that, that does call to me that I am interested in, that I'm passionate about, that aligns with my skills and my values. If we just look at the market and say, none of this stuff is hiring, but this stuff is, I'm going to go this other direction. You know, we may not be stepping into the gift that we have to offer that we can truly thrive in. And so it is so important to take that moment and think about it and think about that it may not be that the end goal is different. It might be that the path looks a little bit different now. Yeah. So this example of a flight attendant, sure, that's not hiring right now. (laughs) But if that is someone's dream, if that is their goal, what skills does a flight attendant need? Where can they gain those skills? How can they work toward that with just a little bit of a detour? Yeah, I think that's a really smart and important point here, which is, to know yourself. Mm -hmm. And I I would venture to guess, at least this was true in my experience, that coming straight out of college, that's a very hard concept to grasp. It takes a bit of audacity to think that the world has a position out there made for you. You know what I mean? I feel like your entire life as a student up until you graduate is figure out what professor wants from me and put my nose to the grindstone and deliver it. It's about filling someone else's expectations. And now all of a sudden you're thrown out into the real world and you've got to set your own expectations for yourself. And what are my values and how do I figure out what I'm good at? And where does that intersect with what people will actually pay for? Mm -hmm. I wonder if you've, you've coached folks through that transition. What are some of the things that you help them do? or, Or what do you recommend to someone who doesn't know how to make that calculation or or do that kind of introspection. Oh, absolutely. That is a huge part of my job. And it's it's actually part of this model that I have been using this year. So career coaching, career counseling, it's actually this huge field and there's a lot of research that goes into it. And a model that I have kind of dived into more this year, it's something called cognitive mm. information processing. It's been developed by psychologists at Florida State University. And In this model, there's a pyramid of information processing. It has three levels. And the bottom level is knowing about yourself and knowing about your options. You Mm. have to know these things before you can go into effective decision-making at the next level. So to know about yourself, I like to talk about four categories, values, interests, personality, and skills or strengths. Sometimes I call these VIPs. Mm. And to learn about these VIPs, you can do all sorts of activities either with a career coach or on your own. So going online to find value card sorts, interest assessments, personalities, mm-hmm. so things like Myers-Briggs can be great for that. Strengths Finder can be a great one for skills and strengths. So learning about these VIPs, these values, interest, personality, and skills, they give you that starting point. You know, if you're someone who's not used to introspection to say, okay, this assessment has said that this is my personality. Does this ring true for me? Does it align with how I know myself, how my friends and my Mm -hmm. family see myself? And knowing these things is what can help you with determining the direction that you are want to go. So I talk with my students about setting their compass. Mm. We start off with maybe this 360 degree view of all the options out there. 
But as we learn more about ourselves and learn about what's in the market, what are the occupations people can do? What things do people get paid for? We can start Mm. to shorten it. And it's not necessarily saying, okay, I'm going to set my arrow toward this one job. It can be saying, okay, I have this 360 degree view. I'm going to shorten it to 270 degrees to 90 degrees. There's still a broad Mm -hmm. range, but at least we're going in a certain direction and we can refine it as we go. I love that. I feel like it's so important to set some parameters on your job search, mm-hmm. because if you're like, I'll take anything, you will get nothing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. it is desperation does not read well on the job punt. And I hate to say that because it sounds kind of victim blamey for someone who's in a very tough spot. Mm-hmm. But it's really important to keep in mind that every recruiter and hiring manager out there needs to hear you tell a story that explains why you're perfect for this job. And it cannot be, I don't know, I mean, I'll take whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so just setting those parameters based along your interests, your likes, your dislikes, your values, your skill sets, it can feel like a bit of a vulnerable action to shut away 180 degrees of that realm of possibility. But that's the audacity that I believe is a prerequisite to getting what you want. It's actually believing there's something out there for you, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, easier said than done. Yeah. I love that though. Saying that it's the audacity to believe that something is out there for you because it can be hard to claim that audacity for ourselves. Mm. Especially if you live in the world that has forever told you that people like you don't fit into that paradigm. The world isn't meant for you. You live in a, a man's world, a white person's world, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. the, the injustice framework that we're operating in. And I know you and I both kind of embrace this duality of looking at injustice that exists in the marketplace and also focusing on what we as individuals can do to navigate that can be very difficult. And I wonder if you you have thoughts on that angle. Definitely. So a lot of my personal research interests and, and interest in developing my practice is working with LGBTQ job seekers and particularly working with trans transgender people. And so in the trans community, there's a lot of information sharing about the disparities that we face. So looking at things such as the the number of people who are living in poverty in the community, Mm -hmm. the unemployment rate, which is already an average of three times higher than the general unemployment rate, lower incomes, job discrimination, you know, up to one third more likely to not get called back for a job. So Mm. with all of these disparities out there and often top of mind. It's not like these are numbers that people have to hunt for. They're usually freely shared. It can be hard to look at that and say, all right, how do I enter a job search feeling completely confident, acting like it's a fair playing field and and generally taking advice that often is overwhelmingly positive, right? As a career coach, a lot of what right. I do <laughs> is being excessively positive and confidence building with folks. Why do you feel like that's important? Because part of me, I don't know, I'm, I wasn't raised by a very positive like environment, I guess. Very sardonic, sarcastic, East Coast, Jewish American family that I grew up in. We're like, oh, no, of course you're going to fail. Like, that's just the funny, dark lining of everything. So where does positivity fit into this in the wake of 
mass injustice, right? So yeah. how do you find that that fine line of balancing validating people's experiences with injustice, with optimism and audacity and, and, and positivity and hope? Yeah. I mean, it is a delicate balance. I'll tell you that. But (laughs) if you look into research on, you know, either positive thinking in general or more specifically at positive career thoughts. So there's Mm. there's more research from the, the folks at Florida State University that I mentioned earlier that look at negative career thoughts and positive career thoughts. And mm. the research shows that increased positive thinking increases your confidence, increases your ability to make better decisions, to interview with confidence. It helps in so many ways, reducing stress and such. So I think that sometimes people can look at some of this advice and say, well, you know, that's that's unrealistic. You're not taking everything into account. But... I definitely believe that you can have both. So we can look at the real injustices out there and we can have tough conversations. One that I have with some of my students, I've kind of informally been calling it the the compromise conversation where Mm. we look at what do you need to feel most authentic in the workplace to be yourself and and show up as yourself on the job, which not everyone can do. You know, there's a a 2014 Huffington Post article by an activist named uh, Jacob Tobiah, where they say that for trans people, it's not how do I show up as my authentic self, but can I show up as my authentic self? And so when we're asking that question, the conversation that I have with, with clients and with students is what are we willing to compromise on And what are we not willing to compromise on? And because that line is going to be different for different people. And the existing guidance out there for professionals like myself in working with LGBTQ folks, it's very binary. It's very much, are you out or not out? And that's not the lived experience for people. The lived experience is navigating, you know, how do you dress? How do you talk? Which name do you use? Which pronoun do you use? And so we have to have this nuanced conversation to say, where am I going to draw that line? What do I compromise on? And I think that it's a tough conversation, but it starts to lean into that positivity because it doesn't become, oh, I'm being forced into the closet in my job search. It becomes, I'm empowering myself to decide what I compromise on and what I don't compromise on because I have Mm. the worth and the value, the confidence, the care for myself to be able to make this decision on my own. I can empower myself to decide how I approach this job search. So I believe if you are empowered with the knowledge of the reality that's out there, the scary, what can sometimes be a really scary reality, you can then empower yourself to make the decision of how you approach it and how you address it. Yeah, it reminds me of the conversation that really comes up often around minority experiences related to race, related to code switching, which is, you know, maybe affecting the way you speak with one population of people versus another population of people. But the key difference here is about whose choice that is. 
and the agency that you're describing of saying up front, here's what I will compromise on. Here's what I won't. Here's when I might be willing to be flexible on these things. It's really about who feels like they have a sense of control over their job search, because there's a lot about the job search process that none of us have control over. And I wonder when shepherding people through this process, how do you counsel folks on focusing on what is within your control, especially when it comes to standing out in a crowded marketplace? I'm so glad you bring that up because that is something I've been thinking about a lot since that webinar panel that we did on job searching during the COVID-19 outbreak. And what we have control over is something that usually doesn't change depending on what's happening outside, right? Whether that's potentially biased employers, whether that is the COVID-19 outbreak, whether that is a recession, we can't control what jobs are available. We can't control how people read our application. So what we can control is what do we put out there? Do we demonstrate Mm. interest in the employer? Do we give them an application that is easy to read, that gives them a lot of detail about ourselves, that describes how we see ourselves adding value to that organization and in that role? And one of the things that is important when I'm working with folks So I mentioned that one of the things we can't control is even how an employer reads our application. So I get questions a lot like, do I always have to send in a cover letter? And my answer Mm. isn't, well, yeah, because everyone reads it. My answer is, (laughs) you don't know if they're going to read it or not. You don't know if they're going to find it useful. So the answer is always send one in case they will read it, in case they want it. So we can control that we send that in. We can control that we put very clear information on both our resume and our cover letter so that whichever one they read or whichever one they read first has everything that the employer needs on it. Right. It's sort of like instead of instead of fixating on that, which is out of your control, like go the extra mile with what you can control. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I love that advice. I was also going to say you mentioned agency earlier and that agency. It's not just in the way that we were already talking about with deciding or choosing where you hold your own power, where you draw the line on compromising, for example, But that agency is also present when you're writing these application Mm. materials. So one of the things that Mm -hmm. I work on, especially with uh, women and LGBTQ folks that I work with, is owning our accomplishments because (laughs) it is so easy to write a cover letter and say, I was given the opportunity to, or I was able to pursue such and such. And there's all this passive voice, this hedging, instead of just coming out to say, yeah, to to say, I did this. I achieved this. I worked Mm -hmm. in this lab and did this report. And I would say the same can be true for folks who say, yeah, I helped lead a project Mm -hmm. with three other people. And I'm like, so what? You led the project. You and three other people led the project. You can say you led the project without lying. You know, you don't have to say I helped to do this. It's like you led this and other people led it too. And that's fine. Just just get to the point and own it. Right. Own your your achievements. I could not state that more. I love that. It's so important. And when I'm talking with people about how to do that, because because we'll, when we work together, they're able to get to a point where it's like, okay, this sounds a lot better. Thank you for helping me rewrite this resume. 
And I remind them when, you know, when you're working on this on your own, you sometimes have to fake it until it feels less awkward Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we're trained from so young to not brag about ourselves or to not boast about our achievements. But putting on a resume is not bragging or boasting. It's being factual. It's stating the facts. It's owning your achievements. And it's showing the employer what you're capable of. Totally. And kind of like when we were talking about introspection at the very top of the conversation, Mm -hmm. I also find that some people have trouble doing this on their own. For a lot of us, myself included, who process ideas by talking it out, you need to bring someone else in on this process, right? Whether you hire a coach like Kyle or I, or just sit down your bestie and say, look at this for me, give me some feedback. Whether you're thinking introspectively about the direction you want to take your career in or writing your resume, oftentimes we can get in our own heads about it. So share the process with someone else Mm -hmm. early and often to get feedback and it will be stronger. I call this theory in my book, mirror theory, which is that you derive a sense of courage in community with others. You need people just like mirrors to reflect back to you the most courageous form of who you can be. And, you know, kind of like mirrors, not all mirrors make you look great and not all people make you feel great. (laughs) So we have to make sure we're not standing in front of funhouse mirrors, hoping that they'll straighten themselves out. You know, we need to like be mindful about who we choose to hang out with and ask for this kind of feedback from. I love that. (laughs) What else are you seeing job seekers do to go the extra mile in the job hunt right now? I think one thing we haven't quite touched on is how to describe that value add. So one of the steps that is crucial to not skip when doing this job hunt is doing that research on the organization that you're applying to, doing research into the field, because what's going to set someone apart, especially if you're applying you know, without having an in, without having a connection to this job to put your name in. If you're just sending in the application, you haven't met anyone at this organization before, it needs to be very clear that you have put in time to research this organization. And some people might Mm -hmm. be saying, well, if I'm not going to even get an interview, why would I spend time on this? And you have to switch it around and say, I'm willing to put in the time for this organization and demonstrate how much I care. They're going to see that and they're going to be more likely to interview me. So it's looking up their website, looking them up in the news, being familiar with where they fit into the overall picture of the industry, and then talking about that. You can be as explicit as saying, I read on your website that part of your Mm -hmm. mission is X, Y, Z. This resonates with me because of my values, A, B, C. I think some people want the cover letter to sound really fancy or flowery, but it's a lot more (laughs) successful if it's simple. I see you're asking for this and I offer this. I think there's something about the cover letter that just screams formality to people. So it becomes like, dear sir or madam, very easily, (laughs) of which, of course, is not the most inclusive language either, is it? So it's like, can we please leave that in the dust and write like a human? And, you know, it's interesting. A lot of my clients these days have very technical experiences, highly accomplished, but super complex to just like it just 
understanding what the hell they're talking about when they describe their skill sets to me. Uh And part of my job is to help them talk like a human in their cover letters and write like a human. And it's a reminder of just how much writing is involved in the job search and how challenging that can be for folks who are not necessarily professional writers, you know? Mm-hmm. What have you seen works in in sort of finessing that process, whether it's the cover letter or the resume or just kind of learning how to translate your value in human terms? Yeah. So one of the things that's important to keep in mind for folks who are in technical fields, I would say is remember that there's going to be an HR rep reading this Mm. before it gets passed on to the people who have more of the technical knowledge. So Mm -hmm. knowing the audience is important. The other thing is to to get that human language, something I've been working on a lot with folks, actually just in the past few weeks, I've done this several times, is instead of getting hung up on, oh, I need to make this sound like a resume. So I'm going to write it like a resume from the get-go. Instead, turn on that voice to text or get a friend who can transcribe. You know, maybe it's over the phone during this time of working from home and just talk, just describe a day in the life, just describe your job as if you're talking to that friend. And don't worry about how it sounds because once the words are on the page, those become puzzle pieces that are much easier to arrange into a puzzle than trying to make the puzzle from scratch. Mm -hmm. So once you have that paragraph, what I tell my students to do is to go through and find all the verbs and those verbs become the start of those sentences on the resume. So it was literally a process of just rearranging what has been written down. And then once it's in that bullet point resume format, that's when it can start to get refined from there. So it's going to take time, but when you spend time doing that, you get results. My very first job search out of college, I wasn't paying too much attention to career advice. I finally started going to career services, but I was still (laughs) skeptical. Yeah. And I sent out so many applications that didn't get a call back. After graduate school, when I had been working in a career service office, I had learned these techniques, had been teaching these techniques. You know, I would get over 50%, maybe even over two thirds, I'd get interviews because I spent the time on each application, sometimes 10, 15 hours, if it was a job that really mattered to me. But that's Mm -hmm. how I made sure that there were keyword matches, that there was, you know, speaking to the mission, the values, telling very relevant stories about my experience. That's what made me stand out and got those interviews. Job searching is a job. Like, let's just call it what it is. And those one click applications, I could just I just shake my fist at the sky every time I see them (laughs) on social media platforms. I'm like, that is not how it is done. If you don't have an internal reference to begin with, which we could do a whole other episode about you better put in the work because you're running a little persuasion campaign when you're writing a job application and effort in pays off. Not every time, but it definitely pays off more often than not. So I get that it's hard. I get that it's like, it can be a hopeless endeavor. Sometimes it can feel hopeless at times, but if you see a job that you really feel is right for you and you really want to go for it, you know, go all out and never feel like you're overdoing it. I feel like sometimes I hear from folks who say, I don't want to like, 
be too eager. I don't want to follow up too much. And I'm always like, go for it, girl. I think that's what our panel essentially said, right? On that, on that panel, which was do it, dare to be audacious and dare to be, to be vulnerable enough to say, I really want this job. I really believe in this opportunity for me. Yeah. I love that dare to be vulnerable, you know, bring in some of that Brene Brown (laughs) inspiration. (laughs) You know it. I would add to that, you know, when we do dare to be vulnerable, it can hurt more when we don't hear back or when we don't move forward in the process. But what I have learned when I look back at my own job search, the times I did not move forward, Mm. it wasn't about me. Maybe I wasn't what they were looking for, but that was not my deficit. It was that they were just looking for something different. They were looking for someone else's gifts. They were looking for someone else's strengths. And mine were needed somewhere else. It kind of comes back to that positive thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Like there is something out there for me and you have to hold on to that hope to keep keep you moving in a productive direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I can so tell that you're you're headed back for your PhD in vocational philosophy. The way you talk about this is just so philosophical almost. And Kyle, I really, really appreciate your time and your insights today. I know we've got to let you you go, but I want to give you the opportunity to share one last takeaway. If, If listeners take nothing else from this conversation, what is one thing you want them to know about this process? Ooh, there's a lot of pressure in that question. (laughs) No pressure. Take your time. I think it would be honestly, back to that, that positivity, that power that we have, because just to go back to what I was talking about with working with LGBTQ clients, especially trans clients, we Mm. face such an uphill climb. And I've been there. I have lost a job because of my gender, like explicitly because of my gender. My God. With that uphill climb that we face, There's still so much that we do have control over and there is still so much that we can gain when we step into our confidence. And so it can be really hard to build that up, but there are great resources out there. Just an example of one that I have found useful recently is a workbook called the Queer and Transgender Resilience Workbook by Dr. Annalise Mm. Singh. And by doing that work, gaining that confidence, it really makes a difference no matter where you're starting from, no matter what you're up against. So I I don't think that's something that only some people can tap into. That's something that's available to everyone. And that would Mm. be the takeaway. Absolutely. All right. Now you got to tell us that story. What happened? My gosh. So when I was 19, I was a sophomore in college and had an on-campus job. And long story short, I was only there a couple of weeks, but when I was let go, I was told that basically my identity was apparently distracting me from work and that I was oh, welcome goodness. to come back when I was done with all of that. Done. Yeah. Wow. That's a thing. Okay. It's interesting that at the time, I think I was just angry, upset, but kind of brushed it off like, oh, just another person who's being transphobic and homophobic, but it is something that I think even on an unconscious level has had probably stuck with me for a long time. And mm. just before this work from home time, so back in early March, I was on a panel of LGBTQ folks for another university's career center and told this story. 
And as I was telling it, realized, you know, what is it that there is to offer from this? Because, you know, I think there's a lot of us in the community that can tell stories about, you know, this very overt discrimination that we have faced. But what I shared from that, what I've gained from it is realizing that so much of my job search, whether connected to that experience or not, had been about just finding stability. Let me just find Mm -hmm. any job that I can tolerate, that I can show up, do my work, go home. I don't necessarily have to be out. And I have been closeted at work in the past. But all of us deserve a workplace where we can be completely open, where Mm -hmm. that type of experience would never happen because it would never occur to someone to let go of someone or or let someone go just because of their identity. So it's an awful experience to go through. It's awful to carry that with you. But what I've learned is that all of us do deserve and can find that job Mm -hmm. where we can be open, authentic, can be ourselves, have that opportunity to decide how do I want to show up authentically instead of just can I show up authentically? And I'm so fortunate to have that, you know, in my, in my full-time job where I can be completely out and open, be myself, do the kind of work that I do around social justice and career advising. So, yeah. And it really sounds like it informs how you counsel others in figuring that out right from the get-go, right? When you were describing the the whole process around VIPs, values, what is it, interests? Mm-hmm. What is the P? Personality. Personality, thank you, and skills. It's clear to me that you've made that journey yourself in navigating what you will and won't compromise on, and now it empowers how you, or I would say it informs how you empower others to have that conversation ahead of time in the job search. Yeah. So Thank you. I mean, what a beautiful round or circle moment. What's it called? Full circle moment. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it, it kind of is a full circle moment, you know, to go back to that 19 year old and be like, all right, what did, what did he need to hear? Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that. I really appreciate you sharing that context because I think it helps everything you've said. And it just gives such, you know, it, it tells me the story behind why you care about this stuff so much. And I really appreciate you being on the podcast, Kyle, and sharing your story and sharing your great advice for job seekers right now. Oh, well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. (laughs) Obviously, I'm very passionate about this. So it was a pleasure to talk about it. Absolutely. And I will make sure to drop your uh, website, kyleinselman.com into today's show notes. So if our listeners want to follow up with you, they can reach you directly there. Thanks again, Kyle. Yeah, thank you so much. This was great. To learn more about Kyle Inselman, head to kyleinselman.com. That's I-N-S-E-L-M-A-N.com. And you can find the link to Kyle's website and all the references he mentioned, including that great HuffPo article in today's show notes. And now it's time for this week's boss move of the week. It is a major boss move and totally job search related. This one comes in from KG in the Bossed Up Courage community who writes, some of you may remember my story about being laid off two weeks ago. Well, I'm happy to say that I got a few job offers this week for bridge jobs to keep the income flowing as well as other long-term roles. I also have seven serious interviews lined up. I am grateful for this community and all the things I'm constantly 
constantly learning from y'all on the Bossed Up podcast. Aw, thanks, KG. Some things that helped me were, one, I was constantly updating my brag book. By the way, I'll drop a note in the show notes about the episode focused on brag books and how to write yours. Back to KG. Resume, LinkedIn, and saving work samples for future employers. Number two, every month I was applying for jobs that align with my career because I don't really trust employers like that and I can't afford to miss a paycheck. And number three, I was going to a lot of community roundtables and lunch and learn events to make my face familiar and hear about openings that aren't posted online. Sending love to all those who are job hunting during this health crisis. KG, I love this. What a boss move. Thank you for lifting as you climb by sharing what's been working for you. And man, what a impressive array of results you're seeing already. It's a good reminder that that which you can control right now can yield some major results. So stay diligent out there. Stay on it, right? Stay in it. And if you need help doing so, the Bossed Up free resource, our ultimate job search guide for the modern woman is available. And you've heard me probably talk about it here before, but we just kicked off our latest cohort of Hired, my job search accelerator. Every month we're accepting only five new people into our Hired Accelerator and working through our three-month job search accelerator program. For those who want to take a really deep dive into fine-tuning the job search skills you need to find your next best possible opportunity. Week by week, we'll work together on video curriculum. We'll review your small assignments like refreshing your resume and, and writing a new cover letter. You'll get feedback from me personally, as well as the four other members of your cohort on our weekly accountability calls. And step-by-step, week-by-week, we will get you closer to landing the job of your dreams, even in these bizarre you know, bizarro times that we find ourselves in. I've been amazed at the results we've seen in our uh, in our cohorts so far as since they started really back in March. And every month, like I said, we're keeping it going right now for y'all who who need this kind of support. But we only have room for five new people every month. So if you want to learn more or set up a call with myself or Kirby to talk through your options, learn more so that we can learn more about your specific job search and see what kind of offerings are best for you. We're always happy to jump on a phone call and talk through the hired program, see what's right for you. In the meantime, you can go to bossedup.org slash get hired to learn more and share that as a resource with folks who you think could use it as well. Cause it is a, it's a very unique program and it's great. <laughs> if I do say so myself, you know, it's working really well for our, uh, our members right now. And I'd love to invite you or anyone who wants to go deeper with me on the job search to join us there. In the meantime, this episode, I thought Kyle was so excellent. I could talk to him all day. And by the way, his PhD that he's pursuing is in vocational psychology. In case that wasn't obvious, I kept saying philosophy because he does strike me as a bit of a philosopher. But uh, psychology makes more sense, doesn't it? And I want to know what you thought of this conversation of the vocational vocational psychology that we talked through today. Send your thoughts in on social media at Emily Aries at Boss.org or in the Courage community, which I'll drop a link to in the show notes if you haven't already joined us there. And share this episode far and wide if you found it useful. I'm sure there are others out there who would find it useful as well. Until next time, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose. And together, let's lift as we climb. <laughs> <laughs>